Welcome to Redesigning High School, the home edition. I am Terry DeVoe, English teacher and director of special projects here at Hawken, outside of Cleveland. And I'm Julia Griffin, director of the Mastery School of Hawken. Julia, we are inching ever closer to the end of the school year. How are you doing? I am doing great. Um, we are in week two of the spring intensive, uh, you know, but inching, inching is the, is the way to put it. Yeah. So you are working um, with Scott on an intensive about leadership and decision-making, something like that. Psychology of decision-making. We have wow. a wonderful group of students. Uh, they're working on some things that I think could be really useful, um, to, uh, to the school. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, so I am, I am hanging in and uh, teaching always puts me in a good, yeah. good frame of mind. Yeah. Um, how about you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm teaching uh, this fiction class with sophomores um, and talking about the power of storytelling, uh, which, um, you know, is powerful and useful, not just if you're going to be a writer, but if you're just going to be alive. So, um, but let's get to it. We are going to uh, continue our series on uh, what we're calling the great redesign, which is basically how schools are embracing remote teaching and learning during this particularly charged uh, moment in time. We're also going to preview how we're going to shift our redesigning high school uh, podcast and website. Uh, next fall, we're going to actually turn it into redesigning school. We're going to start talking to pre-K through 12 because we're all reimagining school. And we thought it would be a, uh, a good uh, focus that I, we think some parents and educators would be interested in. So that's going to start officially in the fall. But we have a little preview today uh, because we're going to talk to uh, Courtney Martin, who is Hawkins director of the lower, lower school. And we're going to hear how she and her teachers are uh, redesigning school during the pandemic. So first of all, hello, Courtney, how are you? I'm doing well, Terry. How are you? Just fine. Hi, Julia. Hey, Courtney. Um, and just to chime into Terry's introduction, um, we have been fortunate to have Courtney on the leadership team at Hawken for four years um, in her role as director of the lower school. Um, under Courtney's leadership, the early childhood program is expanded um, in this past school year to include a toddler section. Um, and prior to coming to Hawken, Courtney held teaching and leadership positions at a number of distinguished independent schools um, from Boston to DC to Atlanta. She holds two master's degrees, a master of social work from the University of Georgia and a master of education from Lesley University, as well as a BA in sociology from Hampton University. And Courtney, thank you so much for the time, taking the time to join us. We know that time is in short supply for all school leaders these days, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So I wonder, can you start by taking us back to the moment when it became clear back to, I guess, about two months ago that all schools in Ohio, including Hawken, were going to have to go to remote teaching and learning. What was your thought process at that time? And what was your goal as you and your team set out to, to do this work? Well, it's hard to imagine going back that far at this point, because I think every month has just felt just longer than it actually is. Uh, but when we first found out, I think about schools, if you remember before we left for spring break, we were planning at least through April 6th. And so the message we had for our teachers was, take what you need just in case we need to do this, work with your teams. And it was, you know, and I think because of our lower school, we didn't really have a learning management system or online program that we all used um, all the time. So our first message was, let's just find a platform 
and let's just practice again how to use video. It was really like finding schedules and staying connected, I think was the first message. As we realized that was changing, um, we realized that something else had to be different in the sense that this is gonna be longer, it's gonna be extended, and now what will this look like when you serve children as young as three years old? How will you keep them not only um, engaged, but making strides? Mm -hmm. And so our first piece was really starting just to engage about what does this look like? Um, think we had the benefit of being on break. And so what that allowed us to do during that time was to already start plugging in and connecting and being a part of the conversation about what was happening, um, at least in most regions, uh, specifically with lower schools. So my assistant director and I both attended a number of webinars and town halls just to hear the conversation about how this was being implemented. So that was, you know, thinking back to the first piece. And one of the what I remember that was most important was not trying to translate exactly what happens in a school day to an online platform. And I think that was one of the first things that um, really stuck out to us. And also the message about go very slow because you can always add, but it's hard to reel it back in, especially dealing with young children. That it's really thinking about how to build processes, how to connect, and really about routines because it's more than just working with children, it's also working with parents. And so it was a matter of how does everyone understand what the routines are gonna be. And we found that that was what was most important was really having structures and clarity, which didn't always present themselves. Like we didn't start day one with how we look right now because we'd never done it. Um, but that's, you know, I think that that was where we started was we wanted to be able to intentionally go very slow because we knew that we could pick it up as soon as children and teachers and parents were ready for that. Well, it's interesting that you started with the teacher's experience and trying to make the transition as you were, they were trying to figure out how to do best by kids. I'm curious a little bit about how you think the goals of the education space and what your teachers are trying to accomplish with their students, how that intersects with what parents are looking for from their kids' school. So what, did, what do you feel, where do you feel those things intersect and are there any moments where you miss each other or bump into each other? Um, I think where they intersect, and one thing I think that translated was we really continue to do what's best for children and developmental context. So we still wanted to make sure that we acknowledge those pieces just of their day and what they need. Um, I think that translated, I think parents appreciate that in the same way that I think that they felt their children were cared for and it uh, felt connected. I think one of the things I realized, um, and this is, you know, I, I think it's a great thing, but our parents really trust us to do what we do during the school year. And so, um, you know, and a lot of them give us, we have a lot of room, we communicate, we connect, but as far as what teachers do in the classroom, I think being able to have a front row seat to that or to understand to understand how much work and thought goes into every project and every assignment, I think is definitely illuminated in this. And um, I think our parents already knew how hard our teachers were working. And I think now they really <laughs> see how hard our teachers are working, not just um, because they've had to do it themselves, but I think when you can look about how children are connecting to their assignments when they look at growth, when they look at, you know, how they've been able to grow with their independence. I think that part has become more clear. So I think that, you know, one of the things that's 
interesting is that a lot of people chose us and chose Hawken because of the way we approached childhood, uh, both in a younger context and even in, um, in older children, when we get to the upper elementary grades, that that's how we approach childhood, by making sure learning is joyful and collaborative and that children are growing in their independence. And so I think to be able to see that in a remote context, I think that um, parents are able to see that come alive in a different way, but also too how we have to be flexible, that every day is not gonna look the same, that patterns of growth aren't always linear. Some days are better than others um, for children. And so I think that it really grew in the partnership that exists between our teachers and parents because we really are partners in this in a way that we never intended to. It was always the trust that was there, but now we're actually really handing things over <laughs> to parents in some context that that, um, that if the communication and collaboration is not there on that front as well, then um, that makes it harder, I think, for everyone. So I think that that partnership has definitely grown more than, more than before. I love the way you said that, Courtney, and I also um, feel like I've been living it and living the other side of it as a lower school parent um, in these last couple of months. So I would just uh, concur wearing that hat for a moment. So full disclosure, I have a first grader at Hawken um, for listeners who might, might not know that. And um, I think that that, that partnership um, and trust uh, is central to to what we're doing and that I even as an educator and someone who works at the school and felt like I had a decent handle on the approach and the methodology and all of that feel like I've seen a completely an incredible window into the thoughtfulness um, and care of the constructing of the learning experiences for students so so maybe to to build um, even more on what you were saying a moment ago um, Obviously, within your division, there's such a range of ages um, of students, and the strategies for how to approach this shift, I imagine, might look different um, at some of those different levels from three-year-olds, as you said, to upper elementary. Um, can you talk a little about what some of those um, strategies have been that you and your team, the teachers on your team, have used um, for how to uh, partner with parents and extend these learning experiences into the home? Mm -hmm. And we keep saying three, and then when we think about it again this year, really it's some as young one as and a half. one and yeah. a half, you know, are just turning two. Um, so first it was looking at what are the recommended guidelines when we look at time, when we look at not, I mean, screen time, I think for most children at this point is going to become inevitable. Um, and it's something that's going to increase over time versus decrease. And I think this experience has shown that. And so not only being thoughtful about how we use time, but we have to be very intentional about that and how we want um, our students to connect again with, with technology to make sure that they know that it's a tool um, that can be used for many things, but also can be used to connect. And so we wanted to be certain that every day there was some way to either hear or see teachers usually through morning meeting. And so we started, and there was actually a first grade class that started synchronous morning meetings even from day one. Uh, but we started with our synchronous opportunities with our older students in fourth and fifth first, just because they had access to technology that was already there with them uh, that they had used at school, they were more familiar and started really building that 
um, and, and really building on that, even from week to week, because again, a week in remote learning feels like there's significant growth that's made, and really try to be thoughtful about how do we build that in, um, looking at is it full group, small group. We also felt very strongly about having the one-on-one check-in. So whether it's with families, whether it's with students, and that started from even the first week of learning, specifically with our early childhood families, that we wanted our parents to know, and really for, you know, for, and for their children to know, that their teachers were still there. And so for us, our first priority was really about connection. Before we looked at content or before we looked at kind of deadlines and here are this, what everyone has to do, it was first like, let's just connect and let's just set the norms and let's just see each other. Um, And then it was trying to be thoughtful again about what stays and what goes and what is it that really matters as far as what either needs to be introduced, what needs to be continued. Um, So really trying to be thoughtful about the content that we offered that it wasn't just, um, and you know, and I think we were, our teachers are so good about not giving children what's classified as busy work, but it's also just making sure that, again, whether it's directions or whether it's projects were clear, that they were um, important, that they were meaningful, and also what are the ways to extend that might not always be obvious. And so it was also looking at making sure that there were different kinds of learning opportunities that lived in every subject. And we had to be very thoughtful about that in the early childhood because they're always going to be experimenting with literacy and with math concepts beyond what their teacher is giving them. And so what they're doing at home, how can teachers provide the tools that parents can extend what they're already doing, just their brains, you can't turn it off. And so what are the connections there that happened in early childhood? So making sure first that parents had resources that were related to what the learning was going to be. And then as you go up, it was a lot more on the student. So becoming more independent, specifically in third, fourth, and fifth, because they have access to the uh, tablet, really a one-on-one tablet. They are familiar with some of the technology that they were already using in their classrooms. They were able to do more. So it really has been, I think, a scaffolded process just about what they have access to, what they're able to do on their own, and how we're communicating with students and making sure they feel connected. Um, First, it was to us, and then what we heard louder than ever was that they were looking to be connecting with each other, that they missed being with other students beyond the ones in their classes, students in their grade, finding opportunities just for social connections around lunch, that they just were looking to just feel like... um, people were there with them. And I think just to be able to see people and just be present was so overwhelmingly important for a number of our students. Yeah, I mean, I did a poll this morning with my uh, high school sophomores and I listed a bunch of things that they missed the most and it was 90% of them was just being with their friends. Mm-hmm. They, rather than that, than going to a baseball game or going to a restaurant or anything, they just want to be with their friends. So. That seems very human and uh, for kids in particular. So Very human. And what I've loved is seeing how they've done that. So like even in our pre-K classes, like on Fridays, they have a synchronous opportunity and they're just hosting like a, a theme. And so one week it was create a birthday party like for a stuffy or for a stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. And they had like these themes. Another one was a beach party. So they all changed their backgrounds. It was just, just so just even the ways that they're connecting Um, which is amazing because that's such a big part of our program and that's such, you know, a priority for us. And we spend so much time at different points of the year making sure that's strong. And so I think that's what our students are missing more than anything else was a sense of normalcy and then to see each other and to be connected. Yeah. 
So I imagine there are parents out uh, there and, and teachers listening who would love to hear some specific examples, just something, a project or a, a kind of class that you've heard your teachers are doing that you think uh, is, uh, is sort of captures the reimagination of what school is um, in this moment. So does anything come to mind of a specific example? Well, there's a second grade bird watching project, which has been really amazing because um, they've been able to also collaborate with science. Uh, so I love what they're doing there. And so it's also they're They brought in an expert from the Audubon Society who was able to come in and talk with the kids and did a Zoom meeting. Um, so it's amazing to see what the kids are able to do now in Zoom. They know how to mute. They know how to use all those functions, um, but a way to really connect and grow in that. And so they were able to study um, birds of Ohio. And so it also brought in, because at the end of the year, they usually do a Cleveland study, but it was still studying their geography around them, but in a different lens. And so it was also at the same time encouraging students to go out and to, uh, they were to create their own binoculars to go out and start doing bird watching and keeping journals and keeping observation notes. So it was a way to bring it all together, which was really incredible. Um, and they hadn't done that project before, but it was just a way to tie in how do we use children in their time, get them outside, especially since some days it looks like it's going to be spring. Um, and then how do you make it also interdisciplinary? Because the other piece we were finding is that in order for students to engage fully in their special area classes, there had to also be more partnership between the homeroom classes too. And so to be able to bring in more science concepts was also really important, both in second grade and also there was another similar project um, in fourth and fifth grade. So all of that really was really helpful, but that bird watching project has been super fun. And it also led to um, a second grade poetry tea and some of the poems they created. It really just sparked a sense because it uh, created a deeper sense of connection. And so that led to so many other pathways that went into so many different um, academic areas. Yeah, I, mean, I love how the idea is you you can learn with what's in front of you, right? That can be the classroom. That can be those are the tools that uh, are presented to you that in this moment, maybe, you know, we take advantage of them in ways that maybe we don't take advantage of them in, when we're in the more typical way of doing school. Yeah. And really, I think what has really come to light for us is not only as for our children, but for us, how do you acknowledge the little things or even just being outside and with nature? How do you listen? How do you observe? Um, and so it's also just been a piece of how do you take care of yourself? And what are the things you, that you love doing? And a lot of our kids love being outside. And so we'd love to get them out there. That's a part of our program too, that we love is the ability to play and to be in nature. And so to take that and make it a living, breathing project, it was just a win-win overall, I think. So what would you say have been the biggest takeaways for you um, from this experience so far? Um, I think for me, some of the biggest takeaways, or what is the biggest takeaway, um, we often talk about the social emotional component is just as important as the academic component. And I think for me, it's hard to ever um, separate those two. And especially in a situation that we're in now that the reason we're in remote learning is because there's something that's happening in the world. And kids understand that they know something is different. And um, our job is really to support them in that because of, you know, I think that's the part I think that we know, but it's different because it doesn't always present the same way in children. But the first priority is going to be taking care of them in a social emotional piece, knowing that if that's um, not balanced, it's hard to do anything else. And so I think 
that's just a big takeaway that um, you can still be connected and care about children, regardless of where you are. And that's going to be, has to be present in order for learning to take place. Um, because content is relative. There's a lot of things we can do that can be uh, modified or things that can be transferred. But especially dealing with young children, they have to feel safe. They have to feel nurtured. They have to feel cared for and they have to feel seen. And this, even in a remote context, if we didn't have that, we wouldn't be able to do anything. And so I think that that for me is the big takeaway is never um, underestimating the power of connection and the power of social emotional learning and well-being. That's fantastic. I, I would just, it is, and I would just echo, and I often feel this way when I hear you talk, Courtney, as I know I've said before, but uh, I think even though I know there's a way in which, you know, you were saying it applies in some ways specifically to small children or especially to small children, I just would agree completely that while the tactics may be different with adolescents, everything you've said is just as true um, when we are working um, with high school students. So I think it's so important and I really, really like the way you said it. Yeah. Well, so as we close here, uh, let's do some uh, reckless predicting uh, of the future. Uh, what, if anything, has this experience suggested about the, the broad future of education? Like, what do you think this tells us about yeah, I think it's telling us we don't need school to do school to some degree um, or about where school and how it can take place. I think it's also that piece for us that we think about that um, technology and what is going to become of technology is not going anywhere. And it's going to become a tool even as kids get younger, you know, or younger and younger. And I don't know if that's always been part of the conversation. I think that there haven't been many studies or research or a lot of uh, work that I'm aware of that really looks at technology usage in early childhood education. And I think that that's going to be something that really starts to become more robust is how the two translate. Um, so when I think about when you think about the future of education, I think it's going to move a lot faster just about because things can be done in real time. Things can become more personalized and individualized because of the different pathways that are there into learning. Um, so I feel like we kind of got accelerated into what was kind of inevitable, maybe 15 to 20 years down the road. We had to learn very quickly, almost in like, you know, a week and a half. Yeah. Um, so I think it's one of those things that will continue to get better, continue to refine. But I think that this has also opened up so many opportunities around what can be available for children and teachers because you don't, you aren't confined by time and geography or, you know, in space the way that we were before. So, um, which is going to be super important. And I think super interesting when we look at five or 10 years down the road that I think we'll be taking a lot of these lessons now. And I think school itself will look different because we've had to really investigate our systems and what's working, what's not working. And it's kind of accelerated change in ways that, um, we knew it was coming, but weren't really sure when it was coming. We kind of got thrust into a faster future, if you will. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's a good name for the episode. Uh, and second, uh, yeah, I mean, it accelerated. There's this new variable in the equation here that accelerated the um, maybe inevitable um, changes. But uh, it's, it's hard to imagine going back without learning anything from this experience. So um, I don't imagine school ever be as it was before is yeah. one of the big, I think the big takeaways that I, that I have from this. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Courtney, uh, for joining us. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Thanks to Nick Fletcher, our editor, uh, our audience out there. Uh, we're going to, I think, do one more episode before we take the summer. So we want to thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, please review it on iTunes. Go to redesigningschool.org. Sign up for the newsletter. Follow us on Instagram and all of that. Um, and until next time, thanks for joining us. 